imagine a world where you've, you're getting into your 50s and 60s and money is coming in. Like, you know, there's really no incentive for you to actually save or play catch up. And so now they're giving you a reason to do that because to your point, you might actually have 15, maybe even 20 years mm-hmm. for that money to compound, which I would say for a lot of people in the personal finance world, like you're going to have to rethink a lot of the lines that we're accustomed to because like because of these changes. So I think it's a really, really good thing. And especially for the people who are older that oftentimes ask us, is it too late? Like, this is one of those things that say, well, actually, it's not too late, right? Yeah, like, look at all of these it. different mechanisms that you have, that only you have, that uniquely you have, being within this sort of age frame that I think you can use to your advantage. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast, presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today, we're talking about some upcoming changes to 401ks. Yes, and I get it. Like, this topic may sound about as exciting as, I don't know, watching grass grow or (laughs) paint dry. But to me, it's indicative of some of the cultural shifts that are happening around how we think about retirement in the United States and the role that companies kind of play in helping us get there. So I think it was worthy of discussion. But before we dive in, I want to shout out JK18395 exclamation mark, (laughs) which is his username or their username, who left us a five-star review and says that this podcast is informative and entertaining. They've listened to about 50 episodes and are so impressed by the thoughtful research, professionalism, and insights that we give. I feel like you left this review. (laughs) <laughs> it does sound like JK, Julian Kirsten. Like, that's a little suspicious. It's just a coincidence. Okay. <laughs> they also said that we are the best black podcast couple out there. Yeah, among you definitely let this read. <laughs> <laughs> and to keep up the awesome work, I promise you, I am not JK18395 exclamation mark. Okay. But to that person, Thank you so much. We hope you keep rocking with us for, you know, another 50 episodes. I love it. So thank you, JK18395 exclamation mark. (laughs) No, I I agree with you. I think we are the best. Uh, We appreciate it. And so anytime we get a review like that, it always makes us feel good. It always motivates us to keep on going. But in response to the topic, I, I am particularly interested for a couple of reasons. One, because... They always like anytime there's a big change, it's almost like one of the few moments in my life where I really think back into like how old I'm getting. And I feel like I've been doing that a lot lately because I remember when I like first started with a 401k and like how times have completely changed since then. Like I remember having a probationary period at some time where like, you know, there was a period of time was like I had to be there for like three months or something like that Mm -hmm. to qualify for the 401k. And then I know. I didn't have this, but there were some people who still have this now, but they have got this vesting period where, okay, it takes a couple of years for you to sort of earn your stripes. And then you can actually earn the money that was actually sort of contributed by the company. Uh, So that was interesting. I remember even later on in my 30s when I started working in corporate or for a large company and I started out as a contractor and I was kind of right back in that same boat because I was a contractor. There was a hard stop. It was like, well, you work here, but like you don't get any of the benefits of people who are actual employees of the company. And I remember feeling like, oh, man, I really can't wait until that day comes. 
Uh, but I also remember getting uh, that that okay and finally getting that contract and being really excited about the 401k and immediately sending a note to my then financial advisor because I had no idea what to invest in. I was like, hey, I just want to make sure that whatever I pick or whatever you kind of pick for me is going to like work with whatever you're already investing on my behalf. Like it's just interesting as I think about this topic all of these incredible changes and just how much has changed for me personally. And I would imagine a lot of people who've been alive or at least investing over the last 15 to 20 years. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. So the changes we're going to take you through today are a part of the Secure Act 2.0, which rolled out late 2022. And the purpose of the act is to expand coverage and increase retirement savings for U.S. citizens. And like other acts that we've talked about on this podcast, there's a lot baked into it. We don't have time to get into the nitty gritty details, but we do want to go over the seven main changes. And then as they roll out details closer to the time where these things are effective, maybe we'll do an update. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) All right. So the first change is auto enrollment. Most employers will now be required to automatically enroll all eligible employees into their 401k plan. And then it'll be up to you or the employees to opt out. Now, this is something that researchers and academics have been proposing for a while because past research has shown that non-savers do actually want to save a portion of their paycheck. They just never get around to it. So auto-enrollment kind of disrupts that default state of not saving and brings you into this world where everybody's doing it, right? It's like flipping a social norm on its head and kind of using conformity and groupthink as a positive form of peer pressure. Yeah. So auto-enrollment, like when I first heard it, I was like really excited about it. But then again, I went back and I was like, I can't think of a single thing that I was like auto-enrolled for. Oh, there's plenty. Like what? Social (laughs) Social security. (laughs) Okay, but I didn't enroll. I feel like that's just a part of me being a citizen and like a W-2 employee. I was thinking, I was like, all right, like driver's insurance. I was like, well, I'm not auto-enrolled, but like I am sort of forced to buy it if I want to like not get a ticket or something like that. But like I really couldn't think of anything other than like being in college. And even then, like you're not auto-enrolled in some classes. Maybe you are, depending on your major. But like you're told like you have to take these classes and then you've got electives and other things that you can choose. But like this idea of something being done or you like automatically enrolling (laughs) people. It reminds me of automatic seatbelts where it's just like, oh, it's coming for your neck. Oh, it is. (laughs) It's like very... You can detach it. You have the ability to unlock, but it's coming. I feel like I just need another word. And like, I mean, I like the purpose, but like the terms like auto enroll makes me feel like I got to be on my P's and Q's. That's your American. I don't know what it is. Like, I I, I feel like I've lost control at that point. You don't have freedom. You don't have no rights. They have infringed on my (laughs) rights. But I get it. And I think this is groundbreaking. And I think overall, I think it's a good thing because I'm being optimistic here. I think it will help set the tone for the idea of people spending what's left. Like that is one of those core personal finance mantras where they tell people say, hey, you don't sort of have your money, pay your bills and then save. You really want to get into the habit of saving and investing first and living off of what's left. Like this idea of paying yourself first. And I think this will really kind of help people along that path. What concerns me, though, are the people just for a wide variety of reasons, whether it's financial illiteracy or people just being busy, where they just missed the mark. They didn't get the notification or they just forget to go in. And who knows how long they are auto-enrolled and they don't know 
what's happening or they just notice that the check is off or maybe they don't notice that their check is off because it's always been that way. And I would say even the scarier part for me is, well, what happens after enrollment? How much money are we talking about? Is that money being auto invested or is that money just being held in cash, which is what I would imagine to your point about there like not being a lot of details about this stuff. But like that also just like kind of makes me a little skittish. I'm like nervous about that. I was like, what what's happening here? Yeah, I don't think you're opting into money being removed from your paycheck, but I think you are opting into your auto enrolled into the 401k program, meaning that like you've already signed up for it and then you got to go in and either opt out. I was about to say unsign up for it. (laughs) You have to opt out or decide how much money you want to put into it every month. But like the account itself is is available to you. We know people and I'll say this last thing before I move on to the second one. If you remember the woman that we met uh, I'm not going to call her out or issue any of those details, but we met a woman when we were speaking to the city of Atlanta not too long ago. And you remember that story of the woman yeah. who looked up and she felt like she had done the right thing only for what years later to realize that she All had been in investing, cash. but she hadn't actually invested the money. Meanwhile, there was another guy who had been working for the a city just as long, investing just as much. And he was like, actually, I think I can retire right now. (laughs) Like it was completely two different ends of the spectrum there. So I think I'm a little bit haunted by that example. And that might be part of the reason why that word scares me a little bit. But either way, overall, I would say auto enrollment of 401k is a good thing. And my optimistic side of my brain is saying, hey, this might actually work out for a lot of people in terms of building or starting out the a foundation for building some really strong habits. Okay, so the second change to the 401ks, and this one is a little bit more complicated because it includes student loan payments, uh, but I know a lot of people are struggling with student loan debt, and so this one hopefully sort of tickles the ears a little bit. So here's what's new. Basically, this new law allows employer contributions to 401k accounts for student loan payments. And I know that can be a little confusing and it's probably going to get a little bit more confusing because of the language in terms of matches. And I also think that people, when they hear the word matches, they are typically automatically thinking about 401k plans. This is our best attempt to try to make uh, sense of this. But I will say this before we try to explain it is that I kind of saw this all coming a few years ago. When you think about the growing sort of trend or balance, really, of student loan debt that's really getting in the way of a lot of people contributing to their 401ks and better preparing for their retirements, Um, I just envisioned a world where companies were really going to have to do something about this. Because if I were choosing between two job offers, like most people are going to say, well, this company offers a 401k and so does this company. But in a world where the base compensation is the same, both companies have 401k accounts, and let's just say the types of funds available are the same, you really start to look at those third or secondary types of benefits. And this is one of those things where, hey, if I've got significant student loan debt and I'm trying to pay it off, I'm going to lean or at least consider the company that is going to help me expedite that payoff more so than I'm going to look at a company that's not, right? Because that's a huge part of a lot of people's financials picture. And so I'm actually really excited to see that this is something that's happening. So here's what you need to know. A couple of things. One is that this new sort of availability of these types of programs where employers are able to make matching contributions for you if you are making student loan payments is now basically available. It does not mean that all companies are going to do it. And even if they do, it does not mean that all of those programs are going to be the same. 
Again, very similar to 401k accounts. Some companies offer them, some companies don't. Those that offer them all have different types of programs. A couple of other key points here. Uh, The money that's offered to employees, those matching funds are considered taxable. So if you are working for a company that offers these types of programs and you take advantage of it, which I think you should in most cases, I don't know all the details, but it's a good thing by and large, that income is going to be considered taxable by the IRS. So that's something that you do want to think about. Secondly, and this is more so like a just FYI, but I think it really highlights how these deals are made or done in Congress. The contributions that employers make is not taxable, right? So if you're a small business owner and you want to offer these kinds of things, that's something that you should be thinking about. But I think it also just highlights again, like, you know, You scratch one person's back, you scratch another, and either way, like everybody wins. And so this is basically what needed to get done in order for these types of programs to be made available. So here's how they actually work. And again, this is primarily for the people who are torn. They're struggling between paying off their bills, and obviously they're torn between preparing for the future, saving for the retirement, in this case, in the form of a 401k plan mostly because they've got significant student loan debt, right? So according to Investopedia.com, which I think did a really great job of summarizing this, these changes basically allow a specific employer to match employee student loan repayments with 401k contributions. So it allows that employer to make a 5% matching contribution to eligible employees' 401ks, and the employees must make a 2% payment toward the student loan's during that same period. This is all kind of new guys. And so there's a lot of like moving moving parts here. And I'm sure there's going to be more information rolling out. But here's how I would imagine this would work. You're paying your student loans. You are in some way, whether it's through interface or something like that, communicating with a program provider that your employer has made available to you. They verify that during X period, you made a student loan payment and I would imagine did not make a 401k payment. And as a result, they're going to say, all right, well, you made this amount of payment to sort of help Make sure that you're staying on track with your investments. We're going to offer you a matching contribution in your 401k, right? So like however much amount that money was, maybe it was a couple hundred dollars that went towards your student loan payment. We're going to look at that and say, all right, yes, you did this. I'll match you. And hopefully when you pay that thing off or whenever you hit whatever benchmark, you can sort of take over and start contributing again. Again, all of those details are going to be ironed out soon, hopefully. But I think that's really, really exciting news. Yeah, I mean, technically companies could already do this, but before the recent act, employers that wanted to pursue it had to work with the IRS to determine if they could, Mm -hmm. because there are tons of tax implications with making non-elective contributions to an employee account versus actual matching contributions to an employee account. So what this Secure 2.0 Act does is allow all employers to have the option to offer this as a benefit. So it removes some friction on the employer benefit side. But yeah, this, (laughs) this existed, this type of creative, like, I understand you can't both pay down your student loan debt and contribute up to the max matching of your retirement account. Lots of HR departments got creative, but it creates a tax nightmare. So this kind of alleviates that and allows the companies who want to offer this the ability to do it without worrying about getting audited or yeah. fined. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for it. All right. 
So change number three, increased age requirement for required minimum distributions or RMDs is going from age 70 and a half up to 73 and will change again to age 75 in another 10 years. This might be the only case where people in their 70s are counting halves. Yeah. Like <laughs> typically, like, like my son is six. He's like, I'm six and a half. <laughs> this is the only time you're like, if I ever hear an adult. <laughs> a grown, a senior citizen, 70 and a half. Like, well, this might be the only case where it's actually relevant. So as a reminder, the required minimum distributions exist on your 401k accounts to say that there is an age where you have to start drawing down from your retirement accounts. This change increases that age. Why would they do that? Well, the earlier you're required to withdraw money, the sooner you're likely to pay taxes on that money because it's considered income by the IRS. Yeah. By delaying it, you now have more time to let that money grow and sit and compound if the market is doing well. But there's another way to look at this, which is by extending the RMD, it also leaves more money in the hands of banks and financial institutions mm-hmm. for them to invest and lend out to mm-hmm. others like the government, hint, hint. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just want to make sure that we comment on both sides of the coin. You've already said this. This is kind of how deals get done between Congress and banks. Nothing is is free. One hand scratches the other, where it's like if tax revenue is down, then you can do this. But if it's up, then we can do this. And, you know, they kind of work together. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like, if you guys know a congressman or something like that, (laughs) we don't normally have guests on the show, but I would love to talk to someone that was behind the scenes (laughs) talking about all the the nitty gritty details (laughs) that led us to all of these changes and how companies were allowed to do things and that sort of stuff. But yeah, really, really cool. Overall, I like this because I think the majority of people I know are like, actually tapping into their retirement plans too early. And I believe the sort of previous or sooner RMD dates, those required minimum distributions, I think kind of made them feel uh, eligible, if you will. Like if you're in your 60s and the date is like was 70, right? Like you kind of felt like, hey, well, I'm good. Like I, I put enough in there, you know, but I think by extending it a little bit more, I think it may lead a few people to say, well, actually, let me, let me cool down a little bit and let it, let it sit. Let, let me leave it the, 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 dough in the oven to see what happens uh, over a couple more years. So I really, really like that. On the downside, I think it's going to uh, shape the way that people think about retirement in the same way that social security programs have shaped the way that people think about retirement. Like a lot of people may not necessarily recognize that, but like for a lot of reasons, people think about the retirement age as being the date where you are actually eligible to make withdrawals or receive payments from Social Security. And I think what this is going to do is it's going to help people sort of rethink that and say, well, actually, well, your retirement age is this. And actually, your retirement age is whatever you want it to be. But I think this is one of those things that has the potential to kind of lead a lot of people to just work and work and work a little bit longer. But hey, either way, I think it's a good thing. Okay, so number four, the fourth change that we want to talk about or highlight is that employees can now make penalty free withdrawals of up to one thousand dollars per year for emergency expenses. You'll still owe income taxes on that money, but the tax could be refunded if the money is taken out and replaced within three years. Now, like most things, I think there are pros and cons to this, I think, you know, when you remove a penalty, you basically encourage a certain behavior. And I think by removing the penalty here and adding this $1,000 penalty free withdrawal, I think in some ways it encourages people to think of their retirement accounts as a backup emergency account or emergency savings. 
So that's one negative, I would say. I think on the positive side, there are a lot of what we call $1,000 problems out there, right? And so the idea that people are strapped, I mean, these are still tough times. Granted, the worst days of the pandemic are behind us. The worst days, hopefully, of inflation are behind us. But a lot of people were tapped and, you know, they're sitting there and they've got retirement accounts. And so it was good to know that there is a place where you can pull that money and that the IRS and the government is basically waiving this fee, even though you got to replace it. And they were, have always been like, you know, these types of things, like you mentioned before. But I think they're just kind of paying attention to where people are and saying, hey, they have money, but they don't want to necessarily pay this early uh, withdrawal penalty, which I think was something like 10 percent for a while. And so they're basically saying, hey, well, you can you can tap it a little bit, and but you got to put it back. You know, so it's something there, I think, that should really, really help. This also makes me think, though, like uh, as a result or towards the end of 2022, when we saw sort of a look back and they were looking at what the average balances were for 401ks uh, and they saw this huge decline of 20 percent. And I think part of that was due to just the market being down. But that was also because we know that there were a good bit of what they call hardship withdrawals. Right. People really, really struggling. So long story short, I think this in many ways is going to work out to be a positive because People have the money, but they couldn't really access that money without a penalty. And this sort of makes that be a non-issue. Yeah, I think the way I see it is there are so many different types of people and circumstances out there. And the government just doesn't have time to sift through them. So they're leaning towards giving people the option to do things to help themselves versus taking a high interest payday loan or some other type of debt that compounds in a predatory way. I'm looking at the bright side here, even though, to your point, we know people will forget that their retirement is intended to be a long-term investment. But when we look at this act the same way that we did the Inflation Reduction Act, which had a bunch of climate change and green energy incentives bake into it, when you add them all up, maybe, just maybe, (laughs) there's some hope out there that a non-saver will start to save, build up a surplus of retirement savings and also have enough room in there to take that $1,000 if they need it before they're able to establish their emergency fund. All right. The fifth change to your 401k that's coming is that they are raising catch-up contributions for older workers. So starting in 2025, those that are 69 years old and older will be able to contribute an additional $10,000 on top of the $22,500 annual limit. That's major. Right? Those who are 50 and older can contribute up to $7,500 extra. And I think this is a great example of reading the room and normalizing catch-up contributions. There are a lot of people who now have paid off mortgages and empty nests and have the ability to invest more of their income now that they're in a different season of life. And there's growing evidence that people are staying at work later and even unretiring to cope with the rising cost of living. So expanding the catch-up contribution amount kind of decreases the tax burden for those people. Plus, I think that now that people are living longer and realizing that the cost of care is just astronomical, this also gives folks a chance to pad their savings. You know, I like to read a lot of the financial diaries that kind of focus on life of retirees. And a common sentiment is that they had this number in their mind for what they would need in retirement, and they're no longer comfortable with that number due to inflation and all the other things. And so increasing the catch-up contributions is a win to me for for them and for everybody. No, I completely agree. I think there are a lot of people who are playing catch-up and there really was not a bit of an incentive to do it, right? And so now that we know more people are working, uh, changing jobs, maybe even finding completely new career paths in their 50s and 60s, 
give them that that incentive because if not to your point it's just going to go to carnival cruise lines or royal caribbean or (laughs) people go into buying well listen i'm just being honest like we know like people go into that ladder life oh yeah sort of I don't want to call it a crisis, but it's like, man, what have I done? What am I doing? And imagine a world where you've, you're getting into your 50s and 60s and money is coming in. Like, you know, there's really there's no incentive for you to actually save or play catch up. And so now they're giving you a reason to do that, because to your point, you might actually have 15, maybe even 20 years mm-hmm. for that money to compound, which I would say for a lot of people in the personal finance world, like you're going to have to rethink a lot of the lines that we're accustomed to because like because of these changes. So I think it's a really, really good thing. And especially for the people who are older that oftentimes ask us, is it too late? Like, this is one of those things that say, well, actually, it's not too late, right? Yeah, like, look at all of these it. different mechanisms that you have, that only you have, that uniquely you have being within this sort of age frame that I think you can use to your advantage. So I think that's really, really cool. Okay, number six, they are enhancing, they, the IRS, the U.S. government, they are them. <laughs> them people. Them people. The man. They are enhancing the saver's credit. And the saver's credit, I, I'll be honest, I did not, had never even heard of the saver's yeah, credit either. up until we were researching for this podcast. But the saver's credit is being enhanced. And this is very much, I would say, uh, under uh, unknown <laughs> or widely unknown, but certainly underutilized federal match program. And it basically exists for low to moderate income earners. And basically starting in 2027, eligible filers, um, married couples making $71,000 or less, will get a federal match of their contributions worth up to 50% of their savings. And that amount can't exceed $1,000. It's a credit like most credits. Basically, if you do something, you get this. Or if you qualify and you file, you get this. And so here's basically how that works. It's, a, it's an incentive. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know we did a taxes one-on-one where we talked about deductions and credits. So if you want to go back and check that out so that you're clear on that, you can do that. But basically, the savers credit can be claimed by married couples filing jointly with incomes up to $68,000 in 2022 or $73,000 in 2023. It can also be claimed by heads of household with incomes up to $51,000 in 2022 or $54,750 in 2023. And lastly, it can be claimed by married individuals filing separately. Not married couples, but married individuals filing separately and singles with income of up to $34,000 in 2022 or $36,500 in 2023. So like other tax credits, the savers credit can increase your refund or it can reduce the taxes owed. Uh, The maximum amount is $1,000. But yeah, I think it's pretty cool, right? It's just them saying, hey, man, there's some people that are, you know, that need a break. They aren't earning nearly as much. They are feeling the pressure of uh, inflation probably to a higher extent than a lot of folks just because they're married, you know, and and have dual incomes. They still aren't sort of reaching uh, this sense of comfort or upward mobility. And so they're adding this little credit here. I will also say, though, you know, I feel like this is likely not going to help that many people, which might be part of the reason why I hadn't heard of it before. But I think, like, you know, the standard deduction is still, like, a significant amount of money. So I would imagine uh, there are going to be significant amounts of people who would just prefer to take the standard deduction, you know, and say, well, you know, I, you know, I don't know if you'll be able to get this plus your standard deduction. But either way, it's a little something. It's a little extra bump, a little added incentive that are out there for folks that are really, really tight. 
Um, and of course, I think, you know, if you're doing your taxes by yourself and you've got some good software, they should be able to help you make that decision as to whether or not it makes sense to take the standard deduction or add this on top of it. Or if you're just working with a tax professional, they should be able to bring this up. But if they don't, maybe you should mention it to them because you heard it on this podcast. And hopefully it either reduces the amount you owe or at least gives you a little bit of bump in your refund. But overall, I like it. Yeah, I I don't know that this is game-changing legislation. I think you're right. The program already exists, but it's underutilized at best and unknown at worst. And I think this this change just kind of sweetens the pot by lowering the threshold of income for people who are eligible for it. But it still kind of implies that people weren't participating because the incentive wasn't large enough or something like that. And my guess would be that they weren't participating because they either weren't saving in their 401ks or didn't have access to a retirement plan to begin with as a low to moderate income earner. But still, a win is a win. And I do think it's great for the small business owner who may not be able to offer a match or maybe not a lucrative one. And so I hope that the IRS is able to raise awareness about this, that it exists and that employers can tell their employees that, hey, I might not be able to match it, but you qualify for this savers credit from the government. Yeah. Last thing I'll say on that remark is that like, if you're a low income earner, like an incentive to save is likely not the reason why you're going to save. It's yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like you're not saving because you're a low income earner. Like you don't have enough money. Your money is going towards your immediate needs. And so I don't know that like an incentive to your point, like of a thousand dollars is going to help that much. But I would imagine they passed it for a reason and hopefully they did some data. Yeah, and so there's some people who are going to, you know, use it. So we just want to make sure that you guys are at least aware of it. And if you do fall uh, in line and that's something that you want to think about, then hey, more power to you. All right. Last but not least, the seventh change is improved part-time worker benefits. So current rules state that part-time workers must be allowed to access 401k plans if they have at least three years of service or work at least 500 hours a year. Starting in 2025, the required time employed will drop to two years. And I love this because my mind immediately goes to teenagers and young people who typically can't get three years of service at the same place because life be lifing and maybe they're going to college or starting a full-time job, whatever happens after high school. And this allows them to possibly access a 401k plan earlier and start to accumulate their retirement funds. And it's also an attractive carrot for employers to help with retention and encourage employees to stay on for at least two years. I also like the fact that it just kind of elevates and acknowledges the contribution and value of part-time employees I just think the ability to earn access to similar benefits as their full-time counterparts is a really great way to get more people into the workforce that find roles that work for them, even when they're part-time. Yeah, no, I love this too. And, and again, it's like, I think you mentioned teenagers, but like even for people who are older, more yeah, mature. Yeah, just returning to the workforce. You know, people who are big fans of the FIRE movement, who, you know, if you think about people like that are barista-fied, that more often than not may be interested in doing some part-time work where the quality of life is a little easier. They're doing something that they love. They don't necessarily need the money. It's good to kind of have that option, right? Because before, like, you wouldn't even be offered the program, you know? But now it's like, all right, you have eligibility for it. It's that the eligibility will happen sooner. And so, again, you've got this incentive to actually save a little bit more because, again, things happen, right? Like, you never know. You start out on one you know, with one idea of what might actually happen in the future and then somebody gets sick or you get sick or a combination of things happen, like you kind of want to at least have 
the option to do those things. And I think this is really, really cool. And I think this particular uh, sort of change will encourage a lot more people to invest, especially as part-time workers. So I think that's really, really great. And I think it's a huge win for workers' rights in general. I think if you work and that program is eligible or available to you, I think it's something that you should be able to enroll in. And this is a step in the right direction. I agree. All right, that was just seven. That was I was re- I would recap them right now, but it would probably take another five minutes. So there are seven big changes, and we're excited to see the shift. Should we move to final thoughts? All right, let's do it. All right. Overall, overall, I am really happy to see our leaders reading the room. But I think as a general matter, I'm more optimistic about the outcomes for those who will be new to the workforce or those who are planning on changing jobs or careers between now and 2025-ish, because those are the folks whose minds can be changed the most, right? And I know this because those who may be a little greener to adulting, aka younger than me, may remember these types of public campaigns and that they happen every decade or so. I remember when they tried to reduce obesity by requiring calorie labels and chain restaurants. That didn't work very well. Or when they started persuading us to get the flu shot back in 2010, which also didn't work very well. No. It's just, no. It didn't work until recently when it was kind of tied to COVID prevention. But, you know, the thing is, in order for public campaigns to work well, they really have to catch folks when they're not set in their ways Mm. and or they're really highly motivated to try to do the right thing. Now, on the flip side, I could be wrong because there are a lot of positive examples of public campaigns that worked well. For instance, putting babies on their backs to sleep to prevent SIDS was really successful back in 2016. And then registering underserved first-time voters to vote back in 2019, 2020-ish was also really successful. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm cautiously optimistic because I still don't think that we've made the retirement crisis an actual crisis. And so I'm not sure how much this behavior change we'll see from the folks who actually need it the most. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I yeah, I mean, honestly, I think we had the exact same sort of final thoughts here. I, I think it's a great package of legislation. So kudos to the Biden-Harris administration for pushing this through. I think the lover of House of Cards in me is still just like stuck on, like, I can only imagine what kind of deals or nasty deeds had to get done. Or how this bad the data must be to or, be like, yo, we, we don't have, the government was typically, like, we got it. That's typically <laughs> w- where I land when I think about these things. And I think, I hope a lot of our listeners are in the same boat. Whenever you see government taking action, like they are the last to act, right? Like that. So to your point about our concerns around the lack of attention being paid to the retirement crisis, I would say this is a huge sort of notification. And so if you're already listening to this podcast and you didn't know that we are living through a retirement crisis and you didn't know because it's not really sort of shown on the news nearly as often as other things, well, we are, right? And you typically can tell whenever you see the government prioritizing certain legislation. And this is something that's been brewing for a really, really long time. So kudos to the Biden-Harris administration for pushing this through. I love the student loan matching programs being eligible for more people. I love the extension of required minimum distributions. I kind of love the auto-enrollment thing. Like I love the auto-enrollment if you don't confuse it with like auto-investing. It's auto-enrolled. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to take the money out your check. You still got to do an extra step. Yeah. But you have access. Yeah. yeah. So I'm for it. 
Yeah. And shout out to the part-time workers out there who have a new fresh set of benefits coming their way sooner rather than later. So that to me is a really, really huge win. So overall, kudos to everyone that will be participating. And I would say if if this is something that you were plugged into and you've got friends who need to know, share this episode with them. Say, hey guys, like, you know, this, this is true for everybody. This isn't just me. This isn't just my company. So pay attention and have those people push the envelope or inquire to see when things might go live or what changes might be happening at your particular employer. So cool stuff all around. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. Congress may be changing our 401ks, but what's not changing is my begging at the end of every episode. So if you like what you heard, head on over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating and review. We will see y'all next week.